0: Hello, and welcome to Useful Idiots. I am Katie Helper.
1: And I'm Matt Taibbi. How's it going, Katie?
0: It's going well, you?
1: Uh, yeah, pretty good. Pretty fair, I, w- I would say. Fair. Uh, yeah, I would say better than average. Wow. Yeah,
0: you're, you're back to your healthy self.
1: I am. I'm, I'm no longer feeling unwell, so that's good. Great. Yeah, awesome. Yeah.
0: You're looking fair. I am the old sense of the word not not well, the tasty um, sense. yeah
1: no yeah oh okay well probably both things hopefully you did um,
0: lose your tan kind of quickly
1: though yeah i did lose my tan kind of quickly well, that's what happens when you sit in front maintain. of a in front of a, a computer screen right 50 hours a day uh when you're when you're not chasing kids around so right a lot of stuff to talk about this week we have a really interesting guest not sure how it's going to go charles jaco we talked about on our Monday morning segment. Uh, we, we reached out to him. Well, somebody reached out to him, uh, essentially because we were so taken by his sense of humor that we thought he would be um, a
0: fun guest, a, a, a guest. fun yeah. guest,
1: and somebody who could talk sort of fourth wall journalism stuff. We're not sure if he he's taken the the invitation in an insulting or challenging way, we're like, we're, we're a little unsure of that. So this, this, yeah. this, this could be interesting to see it's how- It's gonna be an adventure. Yeah, to see how it goes. A
0: coaster. yeah. And he's, he's, he was like uh, known for his coverage of uh, the Gulf War. Uh, yeah, and he's had all
1: kinds of crazy adventures. He got, he, he had to, he got beaten, had to be in airlifted out of, out of Panama. Um, he met his future wife abroad, which is sort of part of a fictional theme in one of his novels. Wanna Peabody. One a Peabody, really interesting guy, and very funny. Um, and so we'll we'll see how that goes. But uh, uh, lots of other stuff to talk about in the news this week. We're not going to get to all of it. There were some developments. Obviously, this show is called Useful Idiots. We we've launched in the middle of like the Russiagate Fuhrer, So there was I thought a kind of a significant development last week with the uh, with the indictment of uh, one of the Clinton lawyers uh, on a charge of lying to the FBI and. A lot of the sort of mainstream uh, news organizations have essentially said, oh, this is no big deal. But if you read the indictment, it's it's bad, like like there's lots there to sort of suggest that uh, basically the entire Clinton campaign was kind of complicit in this kind of systematic effort to foist fake stories. Uh, into the the ether, you know, we can talk about that some other time. But it was an interesting development. Uh, as as we're doing this show, there's a new development. The, the national political correspondent for Politico, uh, Ben Schreckinger, uh, has a new book out about the Bidens that, among other things, confirms a bunch of the details in the Hunter Biden laptop story, which I think neither of us uh, felt was a terribly huge story at the time. At it least we the, didn't know right right yeah but the the suppression of it
0: was I the think, story
1: was the story yeah. and um and the, and, and they, they they suppressed it on the grounds that it was russian disinformation and fake and it turns out to be right. neither of those things so right. uh that's interesting
0: i mean the story in itself is just about a ne'er-do-well son for whom my heart actually goes out although it also his story his life i think exemplifies the hypocrisy of several politicians, anyone who voted for the crime bill, uh, except for Bernie Sanders, who voted for it after trying to change it, which is very different. So not just right. except for Bernie Sanders, except any politician who tried to I, change it.
1: I'm shocked that you're taking that I know, position. I know. Yeah, well,
0: yeah. he voted for it because it was because the, the women, the violence against women's act was in it. But he did try to take the death penalty out. He railed against it.
2: Mm-hmm. Give me, you
0: got to give me that. I, I think I own my pro Bernie bias. I mean, I have no choice. But in this case, I, that is one of the things that drives me crazy when people equate like creating the crime bill, which Biden did and bragged about. You know, every major and every minor crime bill has the name of the senator from Delaware on it. To someone who voted for it because it had the Violence Against Women's Act in it, an omnibus bill, and he tried to change it.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, so my feeling on that is uh, just to quote the the immortal. NFL football coach bill Parcells this the you are what your record says you are when you vote for a bill, you got to own voting for a bill. I mean, you know, but it's
0: still even if you've tried to change it, don't you think that warrants mention?
1: maybe, but you know, but, but this is this is politics and and when you vote for a bill, you got you got to own it.
0: I still think it's part of the record,
1: yeah, I mean, I for me, that doesn't diminish the Bernie phenomenon. Mm-hmm terribly at all, no, neither that nor his stances on guns, which make yeah. sense to me, given his constituency. And you that know, one, the but, gun
0: thing makes sense to me more. This one doesn't except for but for the Violence Against Women's Act, which is, I think, what got him to vote for the bill.
1: The politicians are also complicated. They they have votes that are sometimes not great. Uh, yeah. Sometimes they're uninformed. You know, sometimes they're they're done for for political reasons that turn out to be Bad calculations. I I don't know. Yeah, there's there's enough that I like about Bernie that for the for the for the crime bill doesn't uh, doesn't particularly distress me.
0: Okay, well, let me just quick, quickly quote Bernie on this when he was when he was running around trying to get the crime bill changed. We can either educate or electrocute. We can create meaningful jobs, rebuilding our society, or we can build jails. Mr. Speaker, let us create a society of hope and compassion, not one of hate and vengeance
1: and then he voted for the bill
0: mr speaker instead of talking about punishment and vengeance let us have the courage to talk about the real issues how do we get to the root causes of crime how do we stop crime which is in fact a very serious problem in this country yes he did largely because it included some provisions that he strongly approved of like the violence against women act and a 10-year assault weapons ban and he backed more funding for police which the 1994 uh, law included and remains a popular way to fight crime among liberals and conservatives but he voted against the 1991 crime bill. He voted against banning Pell Grants for college, for prisoners, he voted no to amend the 1994 crime bill to ban the federal death penalty, and he voted against the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996, which stripped defendants and prisoners of their ability to contest court rulings, even when the rulings may be
1: unconstitutional. Can, can, can Katie, are you, how about just, Bernie's not perfect. Can we can, can can you go there? Can you say that?
0: Yeah, but I would say like his voting. Yes, can you sure. can you
1: say those words.
0: Bernie's not perfect. That Bernie all right. Said there we that. go. OK, all right,
1: good.
0: I just think this case is different from his imperfections. Yes, he voted for it, but he did really run around trying to make it better. OK, so that that's the asterisk. I believe that's the political term for it. Right. Run it gotcha. but ran around trying to make it better
1: right yes okay well let's let's get into it then let's right, let's, let's get, get into, into the the four food groups uh democrats suck Republicans as opposed suck. to his
0: gun stuff which he had no just just to put a bow on it i i understand his gun stuff i don't like it but i understand it and that there was no conflict right there was no wrestling with it that's all i mean that's all i mean that there was there was conflict and wrestling
1: okay all right he
0: didn't try to change the, the 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 laws that he did for the people of vermont and their. Whatever. What do they have? Right. Okay, let me let me ask you rifle. a question.
1: How did you feel when Democrats talked about how anguish they were over their Iraq war votes? They're like, oh, you know, it was a really difficult decision. And
0: yes, but yes, of course, they're full of it. But what if if someone had if I had seen that person speak against that vote? It would have made a difference. And I think voting for a war versus against a war. As opposed to an omnibus bill is a little different. Okay. You 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 come on? We can agree on that one too.
1: I don't know. To me, it seems like the same thing. Like you 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 have objections to it. That the, the difficult decision is yes or no on the bill, yeah. and you know you don't you don't get credit for it's not horseshoes. You know. Yeah. It's, you don't get credit for being close, but that's okay. We're, we can we can agree to disagree, right. Yeah. right? This is us being mature. We're yeah. growing in our relationship. We're growing. That's the, yeah. That's what's yeah. happening. He was
0: here. for the first Iraq war. That was a mistake. Right. He was for right. the first Iraq war. Wow. Right?
1: Okay. There we go. I don't you know. See?
0: See how it just rolled off the tongue?
1: Yeah. That was good. That was great. Progress.
0: I'm growing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. So, what do we have for the Democrats suck?
0: Okay. So, for Democrats suck, I mean, we have everything. They basically just suck so much. It's not even funny. Um, we got people like Joe Manchin who are terrible. We got uh, Kristen Cinema, But as you've pointed out, Matt, on many occasions, they are kind of the effective. Boogeymen, the bad guys, uh, where we know that people ranging from uh, Chuck Schumer to Joe Biden could, of course, pressure them politically to do the right thing.
1: Well, their our- their job in the caucus is to, is is to be the sticks in the mud who who prevent the Democrats from doing all like all the wonderfulness that they really, really and truly want to do. Right. This is their version of wrestling.
0: Yeah. They're yeah. are they heels? Is that the right term?
1: Uh, yes, they're heels. Yes. Yeah yeah their heels
0: yeah aren't you impressed
1: i I am very impressed uh, yeah that was our yeah that was even a wrestling term we were talking about wrestling
3: i go. know
0: that's why i brought it up excellent well so as as is often the case uh we didn't really hear about this person the parliamentarian uh when the republicans were in charge largely because i think they fired their parliamentarian but uh the senate parliamentarian ruled on sunday that Democrats cannot create a pathway to citizenship for millions of people as part of their 3.5 trillion spending bill. I'm reading at democracy now. Uh, Democrats were hoping to pass the measure which could grant citizenship to immigrants with temporary protected status or TPS, um, sent essential workers, farm workers, and those brought to the US as children by passing the package through reconciliation without Republican support. So we got another example of the parliamentarian making this decision and Democrats, you know, the party responding to that as if that is significant or as if that's some kind of insurmountable decision. Right. The parliamentarian is kind of serving a similar function to uh, mansion and cinema, except no one knows what the hell they are or who the hell they are.
1: Right. I mean, it's just all very convenient, right?
0: Yeah, it's uh, all very convenient and yeah. it's all oh, a question it of our norms. Farm- it's all yeah. these, it's this norms like I think was it Sirota who talked about this with us, how the Democrats are obsessed with norms and process and the Republicans couldn't care less. Um, well,
1: they're obsessed with norms and process when they need to be. Right. And they're not when they're not when, when they don't need to be. They're completely uh, indifferent to norms, norms and process. Uh, but they yeah. hide
0: behind norms and process. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah, right. exactly.
0: Um, right. And then on a related note, we have a story about Haitian immigrants, uh, I should say, actually, Haitian asylum seekers, people have probably seen these awful photos and footage of, uh, of Haitians who have uh, fled Haiti, and they are set up in these uh, kind of makeshift camps underneath a bridge in Del Rio, Texas. Biden, remember, he really ran on being the humane, non-xenophobic guy. And they've already uh, sent back three mass deportation flights to Haiti, uh, and they're trying to mass uh, deport 14,000 Haitian asylum seekers. Then you also see these images, these really disturbing images of men on horseback who
3: have whips. In Del Rio, Texas, photographs and video footage of Border Patrol agents on horseback chasing, grabbing and whipping Haitian asylum seekers have sparked widespread condemnation. One border agent was heard screaming obscenities at asylum seekers, including children, after they attempted to return to a makeshift camp, where thousands have been staying underneath a bridge for days.
0: Hey, you use your women? This is why you cut your shit,
3: White House officials said they will investigate the violent attacks. Meanwhile, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas traveled Monday to the makeshift camp in Del Rio, where he once again warned asylum seekers not to come to the United States.
2: Only Haitians living in the United States, before July 29th are eligible for temporary protected status. If you come to the United States illegally, you will be returned. Your journey will not succeed, and you will be endangering your life and your family's lives.
3: Driven by hunger, hundreds of Haitian refugees cross back into Mexico and return to the U.S. makeshift camp, carrying food. This is a Haitian asylum seeker who says he and his two children went without food for four days. People in the United States don't give us anything, just water. Since children only receive water, children are going hungry. We are out in the open. The United States government has no conscience. Advocates say. At least three more deportation flights were sent to Haiti yesterday. Several more are expected today and in the coming days as the Biden administration continues its mass expulsion of Haitian asylum seekers, including families and children.
0: What's interesting about this and disturbing is that um, Biden is using Title 42 to expel asylum seekers without uh, giving them hearings first. And, you know, in the in today and nothing would fundamentally change, which, of course, is something that Biden said in front of a bunch of donors, not publicly, but it got leaked out. He was telling a bunch of rich people that nothing would fundamentally change under his presidency. Trump invoked Title 42, uh, citing Covid-19, but health experts say it has no bet, uh, medical basis. So he's using a something that Trump also uh, invoked. and. This is an interesting thing that AJ plus tweeted out 440,000 people have been, um, uh, expelled under Trump and 690,000 people under Biden. it's yeah. brutal, just brutal, awful stuff. And, and, you know, I think just remembering like that sometimes it's easy because these people are born in other countries. You think like, why is this our problem? Who cares? But what would you do in the same situation if you could? It's just a human response.
1: Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, especially I mean, know if you have kids, yeah, again, it's just the optics of this. I, I it's just such it just runs counter to what the Democrats seem to be wanting to present themselves as. I guess they've always, they've always done this on immigration. They've just never, never quite so openly and aggressively, right. it feels like to me.
0: Uh, Their NPR gathered some of the photos and what and of course. Uh, if we saw any of these on, while trump was President there'd be justifiable outrage, but because biden's President we've seen these interesting excuses, ranging from people being like is that really a whip I think it's more of a rain. Um, <laughs> not even kidding and like well someone was like well these Republicans. Sorry, these Border Patrol officers are Republicans and Trump supporters to Biden is, you know, at least Biden feels bad about this stuff.
1: Dudes on horseback uh, in cowboy hats with whips. Not, Not a good look for the United States. This this whole Biden policy, immigration policy, they've been remarkably consistent about the whole don't come here theme.
0: Yeah, it's true. To be fair, they were very frank about that. And in fact, we had that amazing Biden image, which we should clip in for later of him standing in front of what looked like kind of a sun. I mean, it was so weird. It looked like it was part of a brochure or an ad uh, campaign. And it's like, I can't be any clearer. Do not come in Creole which is interesting cause I don't know who the audience was for that. You remember the, the Haitian embassy tweeted that out.
1: I want to see that. That's awesome. <laughs>
0: okay. So how would you describe it? He's for, it says, I can say quite clearly, don't come over and it's, it's, it's in Creole on the actual image. And then it's translated into English and it's a U.S. embassy in Haiti's tweet quoting POTUS. This is back from March, 2021. How would you describe uh, for people just listening, what the image of him looks like
1: well he's got he's looking forward with sort of a stentorian gaze steely mm-hmm. right steely yeah yeah steely eyed uh, and then he's he's backed by kind of a imperial japanese son. i don't know Yeah, i mean yeah. It, it's kind of that maybe it's a, it's a, it's a little creepy it's it's got it's got kind of like a 1984 our great leader vibe i can't say this anywhere <laughs> i can say quite clearly uh he probably can't say it quite clearly right, right. i think it would yeah, probably probably we would right. come out probably a different way
0: there, here's the thing biden is sending these people back but he's not calling it a sh- shithole country
1: he's just sort of implying it
0: well he's actually probably not implying i mean he's he, I,
1: th- he, he, I mean i think I, he's
0: implying i think he's if any i mean maybe that they're shithole people but i think if he were going to imply that there it's a shithole country that wouldn't be okay for him to not let them to tell them clearly don't come
1: I mean I think the political message here is oh we're not letting a whole bunch of people you know who are either going to take your job or be right. or yeah. become a problem you know come into the country right like that's right. that's a dog whistle message of all this you know the, the difference is Trump just came up comes out and says i don't want any people from shithole countries in our in right. in our in our country right I I don't I don't feel that one of those is particularly better than the other
0: I mean uh, i was being somewhat glib or i was being glib i was being somewhat you know sarcastic but my point more is that that's not a big enough difference if you're claiming to be an existentially different person to donald trump yeah um you know that that is kind of the perfect metaphor right like biden has like nice memes versus trump just calling these places shithole countries i don't even know how nice that
1: meme is that's it's you know it's fuck off you know? It's don't
0: come right when I and when I say nice memes, I mean, it's like aesthetically pleasing, which makes it kind of freaky. Yeah, it's very exactly. weird. It's terrible. It's really terrible. And mostly I'm saying this to to drag Biden. My main point is that this fucking sucks. Democrats are a bunch of hypocrites and all of their defenders should be ashamed, because if you actually care about the rights of immigrants, undocumented people, asylum seekers, people fleeing violence and instability, uh, which is what everyone claimed. You can't just cover for that
1: once upon a time i had a job as a translator for for russian-speaking uh, asylum seekers there's a couple i think misconceptions that people have about refugees from other countries except in very very rare cases there's always there's almost always room you know the economic capability to absorb these folks and the reality is it from in most cases um, maybe not the the first generation of immigrants but ver- but very shortly after these you know the, the people who come to this country seeking asylum end up becoming you know our most productive citizens they, there's a yeah. sort of vast net increase in things like you know gross domestic product and all and all this other stuff if that's if that's a kind of thing that you care about the the argument oh that they're coming here and they're draining our resources and they're taking my job and all that you know it's just not really true. Actually, what, you know, what's happening in a lot of cases is that we're getting people who are, they tend to be more patriotic than, than native born Americans. They're, they're dedicated to becoming citizens of the United yeah. States. You know, they, they're often bringing skills that, that we don't find, um, you know, in huge quantities in our in among Americans. Right. So, um, native born Americans, right. So it's, it's frustrating like I, i'm not sure I'm, the the mystery for me is why the the democrats have settled on this policy because they've moved on some other things yeah uh in the last 10 years or so
0: i think because honestly you know why because they're so bad on like trade issues and class issues that for them to explain to people why they don't want why why native-born u.s citizens shouldn't fear immigrants like they'd have to explain things in a way that they can't explain things because that would you know actually talking about kind of multi class organizing is antithetical to them right like you have to mobilize against the one percent to do that really or you have to that's the logic that explains it right like when Sanchez is like you know latino black native american brothers and sisters you know it's not they're not taking your jobs, and and you had Trump being like, yeah, they are taking your jobs, and then you had Sanders, and they're saying, not bringing
1: the best people. Yeah, the yeah, law. they're
0: bringing rapists, and then you have the Dems, but and then Bernie's message was one of you know multiracial unity and uniting around class interest, and then you have the Dems who were, if anything, it was like uh, micro n- n- micro targeting around ethnicity and uh, racial background, and not around class.
1: It's 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 strange to me. I I. I I can't say that I really understand the calculation, but it's a bad look. And 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 it's strange because the, the Biden administration following up Trump is like it's like a political gift from the gods. You know, you, right. you get it like you get like a free three years of of press coverage after that, you know, and they've somehow managed to start trending down in terms of you know, in, in, in terms of approval rating and things like that, you know, faster than I would have expected. I, it, it just seems like they're just not handling situations that come up very well.
0: I think you just made me think of something else, though, because we're talking about, uh, you know, Dems and, and the parliamentarian. And, you know, ev- no one ever asked how we're going to pay for war, except so, like, okay, Rand Paul, maybe. But uh, in general, no one asked how we're going to pay for the war. People like the deficit hawk deficit troll. And so when you're constantly presenting the world as this zero-sum game where we just don't have enough money to do things, that's another reason, right? So that's like, it goes along with that other image that the Dems create, which is as if we don't have the resources to do things and as if we have to make these sacrifices.
1: Yeah, and that interestingly ties into the next segment of Mm -hmm. Republicans suck, which is a hugely related phenomenon Mitch McConnell says the GOP will vote for the U.S. to default on its debt. As the White House stressed the urgency of raising the debt ceiling to avoid a government default, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said on Monday that the House would pass legislation to fund the government that includes a debt limit suspension uh, through the end of next year. It was a dare to Senate Minority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell who would need to lend Ten Republican votes uh, for to avert the filibuster and clear the Senate. The Kentucky Republican was unfazed. We will not support legislation that raises the debt limit, Uh, McConnell said after Pelosi and Schumer's announcement, Democrats do not need our help. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen told Congress earlier this month that the government's money would likely run out in October because of financial uncertainty caused by the pandemic. Pelosi and Schumer said in a joint statement on Monday that the House would pass legislation before October to fund the government through the end of the year. And then so then, it's Republican lawmakers who said they won't get involved with raising the debt limit and want Democrats to go at it alone, citing their, quote, irresponsible spending on a $3.5 trillion social spending bill. Anyway, you get the idea. We've been here before with this story. We've had constant back and forth about this whole issue of raising the debt ceiling, and there have been confrontations between Republicans and Democrats about about this issue many times in the past, and we did already actually have a a downgrade of American debt in 2011. It wasn't directly related to a threat of not raising a debt ceiling, but that that was when Standard and Poor's wasn't happy about the way politicians were talking about solving America's fiscal problems, so they they downgraded us from AAA to AA plus and. Uh, that had a huge impact on borrowing costs, or at least a huge theoretical impact, anyway. Uh, and then a couple of years later, there was another one of these situations where Republicans threatened to threatened to to not uh, raise the debt ceiling, and there was sort of a stare down between the Obama administration and the Republicans on a on a deficit issue, and uh, Obama kind of caved in the end. So they they've done this before just the the issue is um you know this is this is a situation where just the mere threat of doing this uh can can cost (laughs) can cost more than the money they're claiming to save you know by not passing this so because you can you can end up getting downgraded and a a default obviously would just be catastrophic for the united states uh i mean it would cost us a fortune to ever borrow to borrow money and we we have so much we have to borrow every year uh, so this is crazy. This is just classic, uh, legitimately like sociopathic Republican politics. This is old school, sort of pre-Trump, uh, insane Republicans. It's not the kind of new out to lunch Looney Tunes. Although I guess the old, one, old ones were also out to launch Looney Tunes. Right. But not quite to the degree, right?
0: The old ones were out-to-launch Looney Tunes in a kind of different way.
1: Even if you wanted to, to reduce uh, spending... You know, you got to kind of do it in the front end. Like it's a, it's a little late to do it once you're at the point where you have to borrow money to pay off your money you've already spent. Like that's not how it works. Like you don't, although I guess you, you should never make, you, you should never compare it to family budgeting. But in this case, it actually does kind of fit. Right. You know, you it's don't, usually
0: you, used to like, tra- Yeah
1: right uh in in this case i think you know if you want to control your personal spending habits the way to do that isn't by like not paying your credit card bill
0: although i like that i kind of like that it's kind like putting your head in the sand but that's not very good fiscal policy
1: yeah well so in this uh, case
0: we don't actually need to pay it i mean we need to pay well yeah we can just keep borrowing
1: right especially when you have the ability to unilaterally print money to pay your credit card bill uh, right. You should probably just pay your credit card bill, because after that, I, I guess if you just wanted to make it impossible for you to, to to spend in the future. Yeah, um, they
0: are sadists and sociopaths.
1: Yeah, that's nuts. That's nuts. So what do we have for Isn't That Weird?
0: So for Isn't That Weird, we have a, a, a fairly weird story uh, about a TikTok couple uh, that are practice parenting on kind of realistic looking babies, baby dolls. So there's a woman named Jess Ellis. She's a TikTok creator in London. uh, And she the the good news is that she uh, has a boyfriend who is also into this habit. She spends a lot of money on them and she puts them in strollers and reading at the esteemed uh, New York Post. uh, Oh, baby, Jess Ellis, a TikTok creator in London, UK found a boyfriend who goes along with her creepy reform baby, sorry, creepy reborn baby doll obsession worth nearly $35 $100 from real-life stroller outings to matching father-son outfits. There's nothing she won't do to teach her partner. Avery Rasson, how to be a dad. So let's just watch the videotape, which is really creepy. And she's holding this very realistic doll, baby doll. My boyfriend matching my weird. And then he's also holding a weird doll. Uh come with me and my reborn baby to meet my partner. No one ever notices that she is a doll, would you? She's pushing a stroller with a very realistic looking baby. He's home and yes, he supports my hobby. Do you want an actual kid? Someone asks and she says, yes, absolutely. And uh, you see a little baby. Do they not know how? Oh, I see. We just aren't ready yet. Yeah, We just aren't ready yet. Uh, It's very weird and oh, wow. If you wanna go further into the creepy, reborn doll thing. Here's here's some more footage of that. So I, I'd say that's weird. And it's weird on a couple of levels here Wilson, I just put in the in the chat, some more creepy baby dolls, we can feast our eyes on. Because I guess this is a thing. Um, They're they're silicone. I don't know if she using uses these in particular. But there is a whole thing of reborn babies and the ones in this particular video are silicone. Reborn. I know. What does, I don't know does that why mean exactly? That. I don't understand. But you're supposed to practice it. You know, it helps you practice having a kid. I why not just use the baby? Why not just use the egg? This is like a whole thing. It's a whole thing, yeah. It's also used for kids who want siblings, so they get them so that their kids will stop bothering them for for siblings.
1: People spend up to twenty thousand dollars for these babies. What they really mean by remor- reborn is remodeled.
0: Yeah, but they're uh, not made out of babies or anything. Don't worry. No which is what it kind of sounds like. It sounds like a baby brought back from life or something. This baby won't keep you up at night. Doesn't look very healthy, that
1: baby, though. That That's not an appealing looking baby. No,
0: that one looks very realistic.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: Canadian artist Sarah Gibbs 49 makes hyper-realistic silicone dolls by hand. There's someone in Iran who does it, too lest you think this is just a north american thing each newborn retails for about seven thousand dollars that one does look really realistic but newborns are so ugly no they're not it takes artists six months to create they can be ugly this song is also not fair because it's a creepy song that's three months shorter than the natural way it's true six months not nine months you think it'd be a bigger difference between the development of a baby development of piece of art i think maybe that that artist is lazy Mm. i bet you could do it in one trimester
1: yeah yeah
0: none of the second trimester stuff i think
1: we should crack the whip to uh to get to get them going on that
0: crack crack the rain yeah
1: right crack the rain yeah i i'm not sure how i will vote on this but it might be that i prefer people who are into this to have fake kids to real ones
0: yes i think it's kind of as it's good darwinian spin
1: right you know or or are they not you know if if you're if you pledge to take yourself out of the gene pool by doing this i think it's it's fully positive but
0: right uh, oh right but we don't know well some you know what we need to do is we need to make the make sure there's some like fred we have to make the heart we got to we got to somehow get our hands on these dolls and like put in something that'll traumatize them so like if we make it so like the, the heart can use like we make like trap doors in the baby's bodies so mm-hmm. when they're holding the baby like uh, if they hold it drop the baby well okay you don't want to drop a baby anyway somehow we have to make it so that that's what those- I was gonna
1: say like the, the, the I'm, I'm worried about these people because if they ever have real kids they they'll they may not they may get out of the habit of worrying that like right. you can't you can't drop this right uh, you but to trunk. feed it pretty regularly right. you can't leave it on a windowsill like you know right. stuff like that you
0: can't <laughs> right. use it to open and to keep a window open
1: right you can't use it to keep a window open <laughs> or a
0: door as a door jam you can't do you, that either
1: you, you can't you can't rest your your hot coffee on right. it right um you know uh, like that probably
0: doesn't work either just for your, your coffee it's probably a klutzy thing to do your coffee may just spill I, when you try to put it on a
1: that's probably a human true. shaped anything yeah, you can't play stickball with it. You know?
0: <laughs> and that you could do with one of these reborn babies. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Unlike the coffee thing. Yeah. Right,
1: right, right. right. If you're gonna spend twenty thousand dollars on a baby, on a fake, on a really hyper realistic baby, uh, but you say you're not ready to have a real child, I'm not really sure what well, that I, means.
0: Well, I think this woman, this woman in this particular video, we have to become TikTok stars. By the end of this fiscal year.
1: Don't we have to dance and wear bikinis and shit? To no, do look
0: at what they did. They just have ah. realistic dolls. So we have to have a pangolin. Let's have a realistic pangolin that we each take care of.
1: Okay. okay. You mean like a reborn pangolin? Yes. That's a good idea. Could someone make us? Oh, wow. Speaking Somebody-
0: of which, guess what, guys? Boris, friend of the show Boris, who, uh, who designed that amazing uh, logo of us wearing bull. What was it? Moose Wig? party. He made a, an image of me and Matt on the USS Pango, which was the the, the armored pangolin that we're going to ride from which we will be pelting big (laughs) pharma executives with actual COVID pellets.
1: I like the, uh, the, the, the saddle there.
0: Oh my God. Look at what, and what that pangolin is holding is a pouch that says pod, save America.
1: Nice. Does that mean nice. we're going to be
0: throwing the pellets and blaming Podsave?
1: I don't know, but it, it it's, it's menacing.
0: It's a great throwback. It has a court jester thing going on, as in we literally are dressed up as court jesters, but I like that the pangolin has a little hint of it. If you scroll down, you'll see on his sleeves. He yeah, has he's
1: got the yeah. little, you know, I have a court jester hat.
0: I don't see where the pellets are going to come out of, though.
1: Maybe It's head?
0: Could you scroll in on my face, Wilson? It looks like I ran into a wall a little bit, <laughs> doesn't it? My face uh, is a bit flattened.
1: Yeah, you're you're stunned. Mine. I look like one of those reborn babies.
0: Yeah, you do. Look like a reborn baby. <laughs> you actually really do. Yeah.
1: I kind of like that look.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. So we have to become uh, reborn pangolin TikTok stars. Parents. Yeah. Because yeah, we're not when, ready when, to
0: have our own pangolins yet.
1: When you when you began the segment and you talked about how about these TikTok parents, like I didn't even know what that meant. At the yeah. At the, this is a whole world that I'm just not privy to. Yeah, all. we do.
0: We got to get on TikTok.
1: All right. And we we'll figure out
0: how. So we'll work, guys, we'll send us, I'm going to tweet out right now, actually, what could Matt and I do to get famous on TikTok.
1: Uh, all right. For Isn't That Terrible. And again, we go to uh, the New York Post. Right. sponsoring
0: the show. We're in partnership with them. Just yeah,
1: and um, they're becoming sort of the Fleet Street uh, of the United States. Uh, but they've always been that, right? Which I guess is not surprising since they were, they were owned by... Robert Murdoch. So so uh, the headline is man defecates in grocery freezer shopper ends up with it uh, on her hands. So we see the photo of the accused here. Caption is a man allegedly defecated in a grocery store freezer in Oklahoma City. It's a short short article, very well written. So let's let's uh, just roll through it. Police in Oklahoma are searching for the culprit who defecated in a grocery store freezer. After a woman made the revolting discovery when she was reaching for a bag of pizza rolls. Nice detail, right? The yeah, pizza rolls. Pizza rolls. Um, the male was captured on surveillance cameras defecating inside the freezer at the store uh, in Moore on Sunday night. Shirley Wright Johnson, who was shopping with her t- two children, told KFOR. KFOR is the same station that uh, produced that story um about the uh, people apparently collapsing from ivermectin paste oh, uh, a week ago that ended up getting retreated by rachel uh, maddow but uh, anyway i told 4 she ended up with feces all over her hand Ugh. after she reached inside the freezer for the bag of frozen food quote i felt something smushy on the bag so i turned it over and there it was she said i was so disgusted i was almost in tears Wright Johnson said the bag she reached for had been placed on top of the feces to cover it up. So that tells us something about the the culprit, which, you know, he's good thinking. Um, She immediately alerted store employees and then scrubbed her hands clean. Uh, Quote, I bleached my hand. I disinfected my hand, she said, adding it did little to the terror of the smell. All the way home, uh, her children were like, Mom, I can smell it. I can smell it. Oh my God. And I'm like, I smell it too, baby. After reviewing the surveillance videos, police said the man was also allegedly taking photos of women inside the store. Uh, that adds a little curveball to the yeah. story. The su- suspect left the store immediately after defecating in the freezer, police said. Um, so, like,
0: You think maybe he's one of, a nice guy who defecates in freezers until you read that he's taking photos of the women. Then you're like, he's kind of creepy.
1: Yeah, my first thought was that this was just kind of a sad story about someone who's probably homeless and doesn't have a place to defecate and and uh and so probably not something that you'd want to joke about but the the last part of the story makes me think that this is like maybe some kind of performance art or like a sexual fetish right like oh yeah guy gets off on kind of like staring at women and then and then has to take a dump to to complete you know the fantasy or something i don't Uh, know maybe is that is that possible
0: women squeezing
1: smushy poop is there is there a paraphilia but but uh that fall falls under that category
0: i mean he looks he in the photo he he looks like he's not that you can tell and this is probably a problematic thing to say but you know he doesn't look homeless
1: no he's got a good haircut cell
0: phone good haircut
1: the other thing that when i read this story one of the things i thought of was i'm not gonna lie I, i can anyway i wonder if they caught this guy It's tough. It's tough to know whether this is an act of hostility or whether this is this is a compulsion, whether it's a a jokester.
0: Yeah, come on the show.
1: Yeah, explain explain yourself. Yeah. In in a in a non judgmental environment.
0: I mean, you will not get less judgmental than Matt Taibbi on this issue.
1: (laughs) I'm afraid I've outed myself about something really gross. This this should
0: be substack only.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, um, that was the four. Food groups, yeah. Uh, ironically, so okay. Well, well, we have a really interesting guest, uh, thinking a little bit outside the box. This is somebody we we talked about on our Monday morning uh, segment. CNN reporter uh, Charles Jaco uh, has got a start in radio in uh, in St. Louis in the seventies. Went on to become a novelist. Uh, he's a columnist also for the St. Louis American. Longtime veteran journalist uh very funny dude it seems you know from his youtube clips and and from his books that uh that we got a chance to read uh in the last couple of weeks so um katie you're looking forward to talking to charles Yeah, definitely
0: definitely yeah Yeah. i hope i
1: hope he is too like we don't know Yeah, i think he is
0: we'll see well We'll... i feel like we'll be able to find out fairly soon like fairly quickly
1: yeah this could be a short interview like this is the first one the first time where we're not
0: really sure yeah yeah
1: we're having a kind of a there's an element of the unknown going on here
0: he also did interview um todd aiken he's the guy who asked to ask him about which that provoked the response of women can't really get pregnant when there's legitimate rape
1: so this should be interesting let's let's talk yeah. let's talk to charles Jacob.
2: hello man. how are you sir how are you doing mr jaco I am doing exceptionally well, my friend. Thank you very much for having me. Okay,
0: Katie, uh, it's nice. a pleasure
2: to see you. Th- yeah, thanks you for all your help and
1: stuff. Yeah, of way. course. Oh my God. Yeah, I got mine too. Yeah. Okay. Well, w- welcome to Youthful It's Charles Jaco. We thought we would we would just sort of start by explaining ourselves, uh, since th- this <laughs> invitation must have seemed like it came out of the blue. Um, Katie and I do a segment alive. A uh, segment called Monday morning where each week
0: M O U R and I
1: Right. We review the Sunday morning news shows, uh, kind of go through the highlights of all the things that they say on meet the press and that sort of stuff. And, uh, during the, um, the F- Afghan withdrawal, we were kind of having a discussion about the sartorial choices of some of the war correspondents. We were talking about, we were sort of noticing that uh, Richard Engel likes to stand with his hands on his hips and, uh, you know, sort of tilt uh, slightly towards the camera. And we, and then we, uh, as a result of that, we started going sort of back in time and looking through war correspondents from the past and what, what their strategies about various things were. And we came across some videos of you and um, that uh, I'm sure you're aware of. And you were so funny uh, that we thought this would be an excellent person to ask about all sorts of things from Afghanistan to war reporting in general to fourth fourth wall questions about yeah. the media that that sort of thing and so that's why we're here
0: novel novel writing
1: yeah then we then we read your novel and that was that that prompted us to well the, one of your novels anyway um so we have lots of serious questions we wanted to ask uh, but I thought I thought we would start with the our original question which is what's What's the best strategy for dressing for a war correspondent and how and how should they like some some people go for the full blown lots of equipment uh, strategy and uh, some people go for the like, you know, pared down lightweight desert wear deal like what what, what was your thinking? on, on oh, yeah, that Matt, in terms of,
0: Matt, did you wear khaki on purpose? I, just I did. Noticed
1: I
2: did. Yes. I don't have any
0: khaki. I'll try to grab some from my dad's room.
2: First, we were told by the U.S. military before this started that no, you know, loud colors. We don't want you to be visible in case you were on an embed out in the middle of nowhere. So they said, you know, desert colors as close as you mm-hmm. can to magic and the camo because we don't want you showing up in, you know, a hot pink sweater or something that will uh, kind of flash like a light. And in mm-hmm. terms of the mm-hmm. full battle rattle, I, I think it's just. You know, are you being shot at at that particular moment or not? If you right. are not being shot at, then there's really no need for, you know, the, the body armor and and the helmets and everything because we had incoming missiles and shrapnel exploding over the camera position or or very close to it. Uh, sometimes we'd wear the body armor, sometimes we wouldn't. We always had the gas mask with us because we were told to mm-hmm. assume, which turned out to be wrong after the war, we were told to assume that Saddam had indeed been able to match chemical warheads on his missiles. He obviously had not. But at the time, um, we were um, you know, told to assume that, have your gas mask with you at all times. If you think you smell gas, put on the yell gas, gas, gas. So everybody knows put on and secure your, um, your face piece and you know, try not to uh, get in the way or get killed while you're doing it. Hmm. In terms of, uh, yeah, so in terms of, of uh, dress, it was like yeah, well, a okay, kind of khaki, roughly military looking stuff. So, all right, you know, that's that's easy. I've got a dull wardrobe anyway. You know, that that was the reasoning behind that. I mean, I think in, in some cases, I don't know if people actually make those conscious choices. I mean, I'm sure they do. When I was, you know, getting dressed, it's like, okay, what's the weather? Because it gets awfully cold very fast in the desert at mm-hmm. night. So it's okay. You'll layer stuff on. So I'll put on a, you know, kind of a, a a sweatshirt over the, you know, shirt and that sort of thing. Or I won't depending, is it going to be uh, raining? Is the dew heavy? Is it going to be bloody hot? Uh, so mine was generally based on functionality and whatever I had in my, uh, in my closet or in my um, uh, suitcase. Uh, Hmm. There was no consciousness. I'm sure people who are a good deal more photogenic than I uh, make conscious choices about what it should look like. But for me, it's like, well, this is what we've got with us. So I guess that's the fashion choice.
1: Right. Yeah. It it seems like there there, there are basically two species. There are the people who just do it for functionality. And then there's others who are very conscious of how war correspondents they, uh, correspond- they look on on air basically? Uh, um,
2: I, I, I kind of like these guys who take kaffiyas or scarfs or something and, yeah. and tie them kind of raffishly around their neck like they're a World War One aviator. That's right. that's a good look. I tried. I should have tried that sometime.
1: That like kind of Lawrence of Arabia thing. Yeah, I think that, yeah. Uh, yeah, that that's a, that is a good look. On, on a more serious note, the you know the first the first Gulf War was it was really the first truly like 24 hour news story i mean obviously they had 24 hour news before that but it, it, t- it tended to be you know the same newscast kind of looped over and over again this was this was really the first story that where you got a continually fresh updates of news and people could expect to see something new every time they turn on the on the news channel and you were part of that you know that transformation between an era when people watched the news once or twice a day and now when people are constantly checking the news at every time of the day to see whether something has happened. Do you ever think about that? And, and do you think that's been a positive or a negative or both for the news business?
2: Yeah, uh, you know, it's fascinating. And it's all a function of technology, of course. What can you do and what can you get away with at any given time? And at that point, the technology had been developed uh, where it could be done. And in terms of broadcasting live from Baghdad, we which is not where I was, that's where um, um, Peter Arnett and and Bernie Shaw and John Holloman were. It was because CNN had specifically set up a series of microwave repeaters out in the desert around the city because they figured the first place that would be bombed was the telephone exchange, which is where all the major networks had their feeds coming through. And CNN went around that uh, with just a little foresight. So it's a matter of technology in terms of real world effects, I always thought it was actually a good thing, but we should have put up slides that said, look, you know, this is being brought live. The first draft of history is always wrong. Uh, Your first immediate reports from the scene are always wrong. Um, Take this with a grain of salt and we'll try to sort this out. You know, this is why pencils have erasers as, as the coverage goes on. Uh, don't take any of this as gospel because in the fog of war and the heat of trying to get this on, we will probably get quite a few things wrong, um, which I think we did less than we thought we were going to. You know, as time has come along, uh, it's obviously been a force for uh, for propaganda, uh, which is something that that I found just very, very disheartening because we thought this was a great leap forward. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm proud of what. We did, and by we, I mean, 90% of the credit of everything that went on to the Gulf War belonged to the men and women whose faces you never saw. These were the techs, the camera people, um, the gearheads who actually set this stuff up and knew how it worked. Without them, um, you know, we would have been on telephones. Uh, right. Some, I, I think that in the fullness of time, it's not turned out to be a good thing, especially as live news, cable news has, has morphed. Uh, one of the the things that really um, annoys me now is that you've got these these platforms that can give you 24-hour news but certainly on on the the three major channels CNN MS and, and Fox it's degenerated into just talking heads rather than using the expertise uh, of the reporters in the field you know you've got the ability to bring those signals back live you have the people in the field why you're not using them is is beyond me I'm assuming just because it's cheaper. I don't know, but after a while um, you know, right now, for example, I would much rather see a well thought out reporters packaged live from the field on the effects of COVID on fill in the blank, the pediatric population, than see a panel of three learned talking heads talking about the same thing. Uh, that's, that's, I feel right now is the big downside.
1: It's interesting right I mean I was wondering like at the time were the CNN uh producers were they aware going into the Gulf War that this was going to be like kind of an adventure like a new adventure for the television news business like that that this this idea of constantly creating sort of reported content in in a way that hadn't been done before? Did you, did you strategize for
2: that? <laughs> no. Um, in, in, the, in Atlanta, I'm sure they did. I mean, their job was to beat the other guys. So by setting up that workaround in Baghdad, they could get a signal out when nobody else could.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and they had satellite links set up all over the place. Uh, in terms of the larger effect, I mean, it was a job. Uh, I had covered a lot of, um, of conflict in Latin America. So I was called out of the Miami Bureau to do this. And we had no idea. I mean, it was another job. We were still referred to as chicken noodle news by the other network. So that's right. I forgot about that. We had No idea. We had no idea. And then after about a week, we started to get faxes of articles that had been done and features that had been done about it. And we went, excuse me, holy shit, what is this? And then after about two weeks, I got literally two gigantic boxes of mail wow. and it was fan mail. And I'm going, what the devil is going on? You know, I know I was, I was personally stunned. I had, I had no clue that everybody was glued to this 24 seven. I mean, we were, um, you know, going without sleep for two, three days. Uh, generally the, the scud attacks would come at like, Two, three in the morning, so it was deep overnight when we were doing all this foolishness, and then we'd get you know jacked up on um, you know Arab espresso and, and <laughs> Turkish coffee, and we'd be up for most of the day because in a lot of cases we also had stories to shoot while daylight was out. Uh, but in terms of the larger impact, no, none of we none of we drones out in the field had any idea this was going to happen, and after a couple of weeks, it became very clear what had happened. And we were, we were gobsmacked. Hmm. We, were, we were completely stunned. I had no idea that, that this was going on. And then we got a rotation crew of correspondents and technicians coming in after things had started. And then they filled us in on what was going on back at the States. We went, really? Really? People actually know what CNN is? Really? <laughs> uh, my word. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, it may have been part of a long term plan that uh, Ted Turner and Ed Turner and Bob Fernand and the rest of the um, and Tom Johnson and the rest of the executive suite people uh, had. But for the rest of us, we we were clueless uh, as to what was going on until it became apparent that um, we had had this sort of effect. And our response was always the same. Well, I. Should have gotten a better haircut and maybe (laughs) upped my wardrobe a little had I known this. Um, But uh, no, we we did not know until after the fact. And we were just, we were floored. I mean, we weren't used to being recognized. We certainly weren't used to having articles done about us and having mammoth press coverage. And uh, it almost became like we became the story in terms of how CNN did this. And that was strange and a little uncomfortable. Uh, but mostly it was, it was oh, that's a nice distraction. It's like mail from home. And then you go right back to doing what you were doing uh, previously.
0: Do you think that that's had a negative effect on news coverage, on media, like what you were just discussing about how you'd rather not have to see a panel of three talking heads? You know, you'll always see like Rachel Maddow, uh, Chris Hayes, uh, you know, Joanne Reed, like talking amongst each other. Do you think that the kind of star power of correspondence, uh, journalists, anchors... On-air personalities, right? Yeah, all of those, things, yeah, has has had a negative effect on reporting?
2: Well, I, I maybe it's partially that. I think it's just easier and simpler to get talking heads into a studio, um, that that way the programming will get on the air. I mean, what annoys me is I know Uh, CNN and and NBC News, with MSNBC and to a lesser extent Fox, have a widespread network of correspondents all over the place. Um, So at any given time, it would seem that you could do reports from people who are actually working these stories uh, rather than have the panels. And again, the only thing I can think of is, is maybe it's economics and it's cheaper to do. Uh, Maybe there's a certain amount of of star power in that they want to see the anchors more. Uh, I, you know, I find it an amazing waste of resources. You've got good, smart people covering good, smart stories all over the place. Put them on the air instead and let's leave the experts You know, unless you're literally talking about the genetic makeup of the coronavirus and you need somebody with serious expertise, let's keep the rest of these people uh, at bay. But that's exactly the opposite of what's happening right now. So I find it I find it boring. Yeah. I mean, I would I, and I find it counterproductive. I'd much rather watch the reports of the correspondents from the field. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's an expense thing and it and it
1: seems odd because it wouldn't be much more of an expense to have somebody out in the field who's standing in front of you know something that's sort of visually interesting or, or some kind of developing story and then talking with an expert in the field or interviewing people in the field like it wouldn't cost that much more.
2: I wouldn't think it would. So, I mean, there are obviously decisions based on audience metrics here going on that I'm completely unaware of. I just know it's irritating as hell uh, to those of us who did it for so long. And the reporters and the stories were the horses that carried this entire thing across the finish line. That's what drove it. You know, look, I can understand in the age of Trump where everybody was either horrified or cheering and you wanted to have your own partisans on. But after a while, there's just, you know, there's no point on it. It becomes reductive. You keep hearing the same thing over and over again. And uh, there's not much that's fresh or new. For example, uh, you know, I would watch Clarissa Ward's reports on CNN all day given the work she does, as opposed to watching an anchor and a panel of experts talking about the same things. So, you know, I, you know, I don't understand it, but that's probably why I'm not doing it anymore.
1: We've seen this sort of, and I saw this, I was in the former Soviet Union in the nineties. And I watched this process of these big bureaus all sort of started closing down because the companies like CBS, ABC, NBC, they didn't want to pay Anymore uh, to keep them open, and they they started doing more uh, reports from home, or they would use a stringer, or they would use you know APE footage or or something like that. Were you part of? Did you see any of that process happening? And what do you, what do you think about that development
2: in American news? Uh, I, I don't think it's a good thing at mm-hmm. all. But um, I mean, for example, even the simplest things. You will have on, on the evening news shows, which I'm showing my age here. I'm still a devotee of the three evening news shows. You'll have somebody standing on a New York street fronting a story that happened in Idaho or something just because it's easier and cheaper to uh, smack it together in a studio, take affiliate tape and and turn it around that way. Uh, You know, I find that absolutely appalling. It's like why you have people you just don't want to spend the money to put them there and and deal with the expense of doing uplinks and everything else. Um, I think that's penny wise and pound foolish. And I think that the viewership for a lot of this stuff may have stagnated or started to go down for that very reason. The stuff has become eminently predictable and you know what you're going to get. You know, Absolutely. it's been a real pleasure. You guys, you guys are fun. And this is, this has been, this has been really, really interesting. I appreciate you letting me blow like this.
1: No, that of course. Th- great, thanks yeah. so much. We'd love to have you on again. And, yeah, come back uh, on again.
0: We can rate, we can rate the body language of other anchors. We can, oh,
2: okay. Yeah. yeah. We could do something like rate the room, except yes. uh, so he's, tra- he's trying to look a little studly, but he's got this Dior thing going with the kafia. Now, is there he doing it like an ascot or is he tossing it over his shoulder?
1: right yeah exactly like it's, it's sort of like a a half arthur kent kind of a thing going on like yeah there's, there's a lot of that we, we would love to do that with you so yeah. thank, well, yeah. thanks,
2: thanks so much for coming on I'm, you're very welcome guys all right
1: yeah,
0: thank you so much
1: take care now bye bye
0: and to hear the rest of the interview please go to UsefulIdiots.substack.com. well that was great
1: it was it was he's uh that was very cool. It yeah. took a little dark at the end. But, it was
0: it was funny how he and Hedges were saying, you know, Wilson, you texted that it was so similar to what Hedges said, even though they're fairly different politically.
1: Well, I, they're, they're they're kind of coming at it. They've been around from, di- from, from different angles. Like, right. I, like I I agree with him a a lot a lot of things, but having done all the campaign reporting and wa- watching this phenomenon, like, I, some of it is sort of a diagnostic issue, like. You know, You know, why are these people pissed off? Right. Right. Is it because of this or is it because of a combination of things? You know, like, you know, he mentioned the the union people who are Trumpers. Now, I I remember discovering that, too, at Trump rallies in 2015, 2016 and thinking, well, that's really weird. And then you ask them. And they say, well, yeah, no, my family voted Democratic for generations and then NAFTA came along and, right. and the now family of the
0: Democrats in lots of cases. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And um, I think they made the wrong choice, right? Because Trump wasn't of course, you know, he he wasn't pro worker in, in any sense of the of the word, right? And and the the idea of repealing NAFTA, like they never really did that either. Um but uh, but I understand why where that impulse impulse comes from, right? Like right. there yeah. there's there's just different levels of like and, and but you know there's also the other species which he's probably talking about more, which is kind of the like well-heeled suburban yes. person right. who runs the local car dealership and watches Fox all day long and has, it has a head full of ideas about stuff that are like, you know, nuts. You, you run into those people too. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a mix of things, you know, to me, uh, but I understand where he's coming from, definitely.
0: Yeah. And I think that the, the whole, like, there are, race, there are people who vote against their own class interests because of racism, that doesn't mean that they can't be, I mean, some people can't be reached. But other people can be. I don't think we should give up. I, I think that the the sub- well-heeled suburbanite is a different beast from the union member.
1: And I, and I just wrote about this last week. Which and I, frankly, yeah. I hope he hope he doesn't read this article. But but uh, you know the education. Yeah, the educational divide thing, which yeah. is you know, if you read that book, the tyranny of Mer- meritocracy, like it's 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 the like predictive pattern in america yeah. now which is the college educated versus non college educated so all the places that were you know if you if you live in an upscale white suburb like frankly i do in new jersey 15 years ago this was you know probably 55 to 60% republican you know now it's 95% democrat right mm-hmm. so like like areas like this educated upscale areas have completely gone over to the democratic side and it's the, the Republican party now increasingly is a party of people who don't have college educations. You know, that's, that's where the divide is, right? Like, and that can mean, as you said, that, that can mean a lot of different things. It could be, they could still be business owners. They could still have high incomes. I think that is a legitimate thing yeah. in, uh, out there. Yeah.
0: Why well, we need more, you know, who's
1: more Jacobs. No oh, more Bernie's. You know, it's funny. Cause he wrote a column about Claire McCaskill. And the white working class, and he made a point that act- that we've actually made on this show uh, frequently, which is that the working class is significantly non-white, right. right? And this this whole sort of idea, which is both a political and media-created idea of a of a white working class, and I think it's kind of, I think it's kind of been used cynically by both parties uh, in different ways. So he brought that up, and then he he also talked about how. You know, people he criticized Claire McCaskill for going after AOC being the new shiny thing. Uh, and he talked about how you know the kinds of things he was favoring, like free tuition, are are things that would actually be popular among working class people. I think that, I mean, I think of that's all colors, right? Yeah, of all colors. I think that I think that's true, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so it, it's we didn't go there because we were all being pessimistic at the time, but it, it feels like you know, somewhere in there. There's some kind of solution. Yeah, like he he has he has a lot of funny lines in there. He talks about uh, the whole business with his observations about S- Saddam Hussein about how uh, everybody is like has the same mustache as Saddam because they're afraid yeah. not to have it. And um, but he really wants to go into the into the razor selling business the instant Saddam decides to shave and all that uh there's it's it's a woody book definitely so uh highly recommend it but yeah uh, i
0: haven't read i haven't read a book like this in a while i haven't read i really have to get back to reading books instead of just articles yeah because we all do uh, we all do we should do a book let's do a subsec only book club
1: that would be a good idea force us to to set an example right yes yeah yeah anyway that was fun he was cool really
0: fun he was really cool yeah
1: anyway well thanks for tuning in yes thanks for tuning Uh, in you know
0: what to do you guys know what to do. Subscribe, do.
1: right? Yeah. All that.
0: Usefulidiotssubstack.com, youtube.usefulidiots, youtube.com slash usefulidiots. Um, rate and review us. Find us wherever you find your podcast. Make sure you rate and review us. So help us get the word out. Help us beat Pod Save America. You're either with us or you're against us, guys. <laughs> you're either with us. And if you're not with us, you're with Pod Save.
1: That's right. That's right. There's no middle ground. No middle ground. Stop yeah. hedging.
0: Stop hedging. Oh, speaking of which, uh, you want to see something really cute? It's like a 30-second video. Sure. How was your day?
1: Okay. Oh, wow. How, how was you your hedges?
0: Good. Good, thanks. Huh? Did you hedge your best. Uh, what'd you say? Mm-hmm. what you think? Did you hedge your best. But I'm from. Now you know where I get it from, the puns. My dad asking me how my interview, how our interview with Hedges was, and then if we had, if I hedged my bets.
1: Similar injunction to our audience: stop hedging, don't hedge your bets. Uh, yeah. Great review. Uh, oh
0: yes, and isn't Bodhi so cute? And I get on our next show, we'll read the responses that we got about how we could become uh, sub, uh, TikTok stars.
1: Right, right. Yeah. I'm look, really looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah, it should be exciting. Yeah. Okay, I think we'll see you uh, Monday.
0: Great. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Hello. Thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at UsefulIdiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at YouTube.com slash UsefulIdiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at UsefulIdiotPod and use the hashtag UsefulIdiotsPod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday Morning Show, where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch
2: them. I'm Michael Toscano, hoping you'll join me on the First Light Podcast. We get to the heart of the event shaping our world as our correspondents check in and we talk with newsmakers and people who can take us behind the headlines. The First Light Podcast, wherever you get podcasts.